So we're in a sermon series on Hebrews, and today we are in the section of the book that is the most famous, probably the one you've heard the most, um, but I'm hoping it means something a little bit different to you now that we've led up for, to it with the rest of the book of Hebrews. Um, Hebrews was a sermon written to people to encourage them. It was during a time of increasing persecution. Um, it was to a congregation of Jewish Christians who were going through things that were um, troubling, that were discouraging. And so this entire sermon was written as an encouragement to stay in the faith. And what and what we've done so far is we've covered the first about uh, nine chapters. Today we're going to go kind of 10, 11, a little bit of 12. The first parts of the book really work into this argument um, with all these exhortations to stay in the faith, stay in the faith, stay in the faith. And the, the, the bulk of the argument at the center point of the book is stay in the faith because who you have in Jesus is more precious than anything you will find anywhere else. Who you have in Jesus is a great high priest who has offered himself in the heavenly sanctuary to make atonement for your sins once and for all, to cover everything that could ever keep you from God. And because of that, um, Jesus has opened a new way for life for you. Um, and that is worth clinging to with every ounce of your being, because what you have in Jesus is more precious than what you will have anywhere else in the world. So that's, that's kind of the thrust of where we have come so far and where we're going the next two sermons. It's this sermon and the next sermon. Um, chapters 10 through 13 are these final kind of exhortations reaching this rhetorical climax of the sermon where he really brings it home about what it means to stay true in the faith, um, to stay the course, to run the race, um, and to, to hang on even when there are pressures around us telling us that the, another way to live might be a better way to live. So I want to start briefly with the end of chapter 10. Now we covered chapter 10 is kind of a, a bridge between chapter 9 and 11. It's the ending point of uh, this great argument that was made um, throughout chapter 7 to 9 about Jesus being in the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus being the great high priest. Um, as, as you look throughout the book of Hebrews, you see very clearly that this is, um, this is a preacher. And so every time he gives a lesson, he then gives this exhortation. So there's like the um, yada, 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 this is what Jesus did, therefore, this is what you should do, which is, it's the structure of every sermon that's ever been preached um, since, you know, Christianity was invented. Um, that is what he's doing in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is the exhortation that closes the uh, argument made in chapter 9, but it also introduces this final push that we're going to see in 11. So I want to read a little bit, um, chapter 10, starting with verse 19, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by all, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, um, the, that image there is the, the Holy of Holies. Remember I told you there was one room, the Holy of Holies, only entered once a year by a priest to make a sacrifice. It was shut off from the rest of the sanctuary by a very heavy curtain. And of course, there's this beautiful image in the Gospels that at the crucifixion, the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning that there was no more separation between God and his people. And so that's the image that is... Um, that he is, uh, the, the author is alluding to here that Jesus brought us through that curtain into the very presence of God. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who has promised is faithful and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching um wow you actually have the right i didn't tell you all any of these verses you found the right verse that's great um that section gets to the underlying ethic of the entire book of Hebrews, which is why we should do it, what we should do, and how we should do it. So the why is because we have a precious gift in Jesus. The what is holding firm to the faith, but the how gets into this very, very deeply communal theology whereby the what we accomplish has to be accomplished together. And that's what's going to be unpacked throughout the next couple of chapters. So if you notice, what he did there is he said, there, because we have this, because we, can, um, we have this great high priest in Jesus, therefore, let us consider how to provoke one another to good deeds. Um, and other translations say how to encourage one another to good deeds. And this is, think of what he could have said. If you're using, there's so many um, race images in the New Testament, he could have said, therefore, let us put our heads down and stay the course, right? Therefore, let us get more intentional with our personal Bible study and prayer. And he doesn't take that tack. He wants to draw their eyes, not deeply, more deeply into myself. He wants to take all of this enthusiasm that he is um, engaging in them because he's this beautiful, beautiful speaker and he wants to direct their eyes toward each other. Therefore, since we have so great a high priest in Jesus, let us encourage one another to good deeds. Let us provoke one another to good deeds. Let us not only set an example for one another, but call out the potential in one another to be the person that God has called all of us to be together, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, the day in your translation is probably capitalized, and it is reference to this final day at which everything will be consummated. History will come to a close. The judgment will occur. There's this famous quote from Martin Luther. There are only two days that exist for me, today and that day. And it's this image of I am living fully in what God has called me to today, but I'm living in the acknowledgement that there is a future day that is coming. And that's the, the image that this author is giving to this congregation the way you stay the course is by staying together. The way you stay the course is by engaging in this community, provoking one another to good deeds, encouraging one another. When someone starts to um, falter 
and they're wondering, where is the voice of God bringing me back onto the right path? The author of Hebrews says that voice of God is found within the congregation that should be encouraging one another so that this congregation, this community can stay the course together and finish this race. As he, the next two sections are um, a recap with slightly harsher language even of the not the peril of falling away. If you remember, I think this was two sermons ago, the author went very, very strong into not um, the difference between following Christ and, and sinning as we do, and then just deciding like we're not gonna we're not gonna try to stop sinning, right? If you remember that sermon, those were two very very different paths. The next section he goes he goes even 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 um, more strongly into the danger of that, and then he brings it back with we are not among those who shrink back who are and so are lost. We are among those who have faith, and so are saved. And that brings us right into the one that you probably all have seen stitched on a pillow somewhere. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. We need to say a word here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause and we're gonna talk about faith a little bit because faith is going to be the dominant theme in the next chapter. And faith is going to be the thing that brings us through toward this great climax of this book. And the difficulty is um, the way our modern world uses the word faith um, is we can get confused. So I've heard a lot of people say something like, I have no evidence for it. I just have to go on faith. And you're like, that sounds dumb. <laughs> If I have no evidence for it, it sounds like I should not do that, right? Um, it's There's a scene in Indiana Jones, one of the Indiana Jones, where, you know, he's got this, uh, the one in the, where he's in the, the temple, it's the, it's the Holy Grail one, um, the one, and he's got to walk out across this ravine, and it looks like it's empty, and his clue says, if you have faith, you'll make it, and he's just like, okay, I have faith, and he steps out, and then there's this bridge that perfectly blended into the ground below, and like, that's the Hollywood image of faith. I have no evidence that this is going to happen, and yet, because I'm supposed to believe it, I'm going to believe it, and then it's going to happen. Um, which rightfully people who are, uh, you know, antagonists of Christianity think is kind of dumb because if you have no evidence for it, why are you going to believe it? So the biblical image of faith is not that we have no evidence for it. It's that we have a lot of evidence for it, but we still can't see it. So the image this morning was actually perfect. You know, your dad's standing behind you. You know, your dad loves you. Are you willing to fall back? And it's easy when you're five years old and you've never fallen. But I'll tell you what, if that image instead becomes, you know God has been with you in the past, you know God is with you in the future, God is asking you to do a great big thing that radically changes your life, that decision becomes a whole lot harder, even if there is evidence to back it up. The biblical image of faith is that God has given us evidence by his self-revelation. 
God has shown himself to us. God has shown us all of the things that we need, both in the Bible and in Christian history. And when you and I start walking the faith, we start to see evidences within our lives, right? This is what a testimony is about, is you can go back and you can look at the times God has been faithful in various ways. And so it is not that we don't have evidence. We do have that evidence. And yet the future is still invisible because some things that are very real are still invisible. I believe in germs and I have never seen one, but I have seen evidence of them and I've seen enough evidence of them that I still wash my children's hands compulsively. I believe in a lot of things that I have never seen. Everybody believes in a lot of things they have never seen because if you have evidence for it, then there's no reason not to believe in it. Faith is believing that there are things that we cannot see that are still true. Faith is believing that there are things that we cannot see that are still real. And there are some times that we have to rely on the evidence of the past to carry us forward in the future, even though the future does not seem 100% solid to us because it's not yet visible. And what the image of the author of Hebrews is saying is that when you are running this race and you know God has been faithful in the past, you have these memories of God's, God's presence with you, of God showing up with you. You have the evidence in your community of faith of God working miracles, of God doing things. And yet sometimes, even with all of that evidence, the future looks terrifying, Remember, we are in a stage of persecution. Let's say hypothetically this community is meeting in Rome. Rome is starting to get very antagonistic toward people who are following Christians. So even if you have a history of Jesus being with you, if you have a testimony, if you have these, these things that you remember of God showing up for you and protecting you, if the government comes and starts saying, we're going to take your house away, all of a sudden the future starts looking uncertain, even if you have that evidence behind you, right? And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is that faith is when we have to rely on what we know about God and trust that what we know about God is still true and allow the presence of God and the promises of God to be the bridge we walk across to the future, even if we don't know exactly what's going to happen and exactly how it's going to happen. Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. And that, is, that transitions us into the roll call of faith. And this is the entire chapter 11 and remember, the, the preacher here is preaching to a community of Jewish Christians, and so they would have known what we call the Old Testament. They would have known that by heart. They would have known all of these stories. And so what the author does is he starts at the very, very beginning, and he works his way up. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Though he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts, he died. But through faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death. And he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. 
By faith, Noah, warned by God about events yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to his righteousness, that is, in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed there for a time in the land that he had been promised as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked forward to the city that has foundations whose architecture and builder is God. By faith, he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person and from this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as stars in the heavens and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and they greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers, foreigners on earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are not seeking, that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land they would have left, they had left behind, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was, to, when he was put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom it had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named for you. He considered the fact that God is even to, able even to raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings on the future of Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed in each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share the ill treatment of the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith he left Egypt unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not be touched would not touch the firstborn of Israel. He, he keeps going. I'm gonna pause here for a second. How many of those names did you recognize? A lot of them. So if you, he, he invoked parts of the story and what he's doing here is he's, he's interpreting the story to say all of these people that you have heard of were running the same race you are and they're doing it by faith. None of them had evidence of what was coming ahead. None of them even knew the great plans that God had. None of them knew exactly what God was going to do, either in their individual lives or in the story as a whole. And yet they ran the same race you are running and they did it well. They ran the same race you are running and they did it well. 
By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, even though she received, uh, uh, with those who were different, disobedient because she received the spies in peace. So this is the point in the service where the people start wondering if he's going to go through the entire Old Testament. Because the next phrase is, what more should I say? For time would fail me <laughs> to, tell, to tell of the rest. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom this world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, they did not receive what was promised since God had provided better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. I'm going to say a word about that. It's hard to start that chapter without reading the whole thing, because the power of what he is doing in that storytelling is he's evoking these stories that everyone knows, and he's drawing this conclusion. He's drawing out these elements of the story. He's drawing out how much Abraham didn't know, right? Abraham set off to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. He didn't see the result of the promise that he'd been given until he was like 90 years old. Um, Moses didn't know the result. All of these people of the faith, all of these great heroes in the history of our story lived by faith, and none of them actually got to see this full promise of what God was doing in Jesus, and yet they kept running the race. And the conclusion of that whole chapter is, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let's shake off that sin that clings to us so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. What he is doing here is he is taking his theme that faith is communal to the next and indeed appropriate level. That when we say faith is communal, we do not mean just you and your best friends. Although you and your best friends matter, it is you and your best friends, and this community, and the community down the street, and all the communities across Houston, and all the communities across the United States, and all the communities across the face of the earth, and everyone who has lived in faith since the beginning of time, all together, bearing witness that the way to live, the best way, is the path of faith that is set before us. 
And there are times when we are on earth and things are crowded and life gets hard where it doesn't seem as clear as it is. And yet when you look at the facts that we have, if you look at the evidence that we have, the witnesses of those who have gone before, it all becomes clear. And what he is doing now is he is drawing our little stories into this great story, the story of the church, the story of the body, the story of the witnesses of those who've gone before saying, since we have the evidence in front of us, let us throw off whatever is keeping us from running our course. Let us let aside anything that is keeping us from finishing this race of faith and let us Run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Friends, your role, I know, I know it's hard to wrap our minds around this entirely because we live in an incredibly individualistic culture, and I'll bet you, you think of yourself as one person who shows up to play a role in the community, but your story, when you think about your story, it's, it's you, right? You're the main character, hopefully the protagonist. You are the main character, you are the most important part, and yet when we come into faith, your role is as a member of a body. Your role is as a part of the body of Christ. And the most important things you will do in your life will be as a participant in a community. And not only will your participation in that community lead to God doing amazing things, but if you start to give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, you run the risk of giving up some of the most significant things God could have done because you start trying to do it on your own when everyone who has ever lived in faith has done so surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. Everyone who has ever lived in faith has done so <laughs> surrounded by the great cloud of witnesses. When we start feeling tired or we start feeling discouraged or we start feeling like maybe this life of faith isn't enough, what brings us back in is the encouragement of the people here and the encouragement of the people who are in our memories. Some of those stories we just heard and some of them I'll bet you are just in your personal memory. I remember my grandparents. I remember stories even of my great-grandparents. I remember testimonies that have been told to me about people I never met who planted the church that I grew up in. The people who have witnessed to the right way to live surround us, testifying that the race of faith may not be easy, but it is indeed worthwhile. And so therefore, since we are surrounded in this room, since we are surrounded on all sides, by the stories of the Bible, since you are surrounded by the people in faith that have gone before you, that you cannot see, but whose lives still influence the way you live, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside whatever sin 
that we have had a hard time letting go of, let us lay aside whatever would keep us from finishing this race and let us run with perseverance. The race that is set before us that we might obtain the reward offered to us at the end. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, you have offered us so much. You have given us so much. You have invited us into your story. And God, you have, you have given us so many examples of your faith and your faithfulness. Almighty God, when we think of your presence with us, we can remember the times that you showed up. When we think of the times that we have called out in prayer, God, we remember the times that you have showed up and you have been faithful and you have surrounded us with your grace and you've surrounded us with your mercy and you have given us what we need for the day. Forgive us, God, when we turn our eyes toward what we want and not what you have done. Almighty God, we, this small community of faith, meeting here in this little corner of Houston, Texas, God, we desire to be a part of the body of Christ. Members of this great roll call of faith, people whose lives will give evidence to generations beyond that a life lived in faith is indeed the most worthwhile life that could possibly be lived. And so God, keep us and correct us. Help us shed whatever is keeping us from running the race you have set before us. Keep us together and keep us faithful that at the end of our lives, we might run into eternity and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And whatever happens in this world, whether we have much or whether we have little, whether we have the answer to all of our wishes or whether we have nothing, God, whether our lives are what we want or whether they are not, God, whatever happens, we want to be a part of your story. And so, God, keep us faithful. Our truest, most honest prayer, now and forever, keep us faithful because we are yours. This we pray as we say together the prayer our Lord taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. As lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.